to the Verity La Poetry Podcast. I'm Alice Allen. In this podcast, we interview poets who've been published in the journal, and we discuss the work that's important to them. In this interview, I chat with Andy Jackson, who's the author of the collection Music Our Bodies Can't Hold, which was published by Hunter Publishers in 2017. This is a collection that brings together poetic portraits of people with or reputed to have had Marfan syndrome. Here we talk about what it was like to write music our bodies can't hold, to write from the perspective of others and leave space for what we don't know. We look at Andy's poem, No Shelter, which was published on Verity La. And we talk about how his writing practice has changed over the years, as well as the influence of spoken word on his work. Towards the end of the discussion, we look at poetry by Adrian Rich and Gregory Orr. So having this chat with you is something yeah. that I've wanted to do since I saw you at RMIT. Oh, right, um, yeah. I think you were doing a residency there. Um, how long ago would it be? It was just before yeah. Music Our Bodies Can't Hold came yes. out. Yes, yeah, so that would have been... Actually, it's the same residency that David's doing coming up. Right. Um, yeah, yeah, it was the RMIT, so. um, whatever they're calling it, writer-in-residency or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it was just before that book came out and... It's it's such a, a fascinating project, and yeah. I was wondering now, kind of, I guess it's probably almost a year on, maybe. Um, yeah. What what the response has been? What your thoughts are on the project yep. now? Yeah. Look, it's it's gone through so many phases. So whether it's a year, I'm not sure, because like, mm. I think it officially it was published in August. Okay. Um, mm. So what's that, seven months or something? Yeah. Um, it's actually not that long in poetry yeah. book terms. No, that's right. It's still it's, a baby. It's been one review that's come out. So, yeah. you know, it just, it takes a lot of time. Mm. And then if I go back, further back, it's kind of, I started writing the poems probably, I think maybe 2013, I think. Wow. So... Okay. It's gone through so many stages, mm. um, and I think the the biggest thing has been I'm really kind of aware of the responsibility of writing other people's stories. Yeah, um, yeah. Kind of the uh, the beauty of it mm. that you're actually kind of taking on someone else's voice is mm. a really interesting process. Mm. But once you finish the poem, and once you start realizing it's going to be published, you sort of think, okay, now I. I need to be, yeah, the responsibility of it sort of weighs on you. Mm, um, mm. And I think there's a lot of complex sort of, I guess, ethical and political stuff around it, which I haven't totally resolved, mm. but that's actually how it should be, <laughs> unresolved stuff. It's good. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, that was the thing that I think came up towards the end of the discussion that day when we were at RMIT. Yeah. And... I noticed on your blog before I came here that you're actually running a workshop in an early yes. June called I Am Another yep. about that exact thing, which yep. hopefully I can make it to. Yes. <laughs> but um, for those who don't live in Melbourne and won't have the chance to come to that workshop, what are some of the things, I guess you're working towards that resolution, yeah. what are some of the things that you've concluded? Yeah, look, I about? think there's... I've always felt sort of intuitively not necessarily consciously but I always felt like poetry is deeply deeply personal in other words it comes from you know the particular person 
that's written the work. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of totally unique and it has their own voice on it. But it's always kind of reaching towards the reader or towards someone else in some way. So, and it sets up and creates all these resonances between people. So it's almost like it activates something. Whether, and I don't know whether it's empathy or solidarity or just awareness. Mm. It does something in terms of the connecting between people. So I guess my own writing is kind of trying to be aware of that. And some often I'm writing in my own voice and other times I'm writing in others' voices and sometimes they're fictional. But it is a way of trying to think what is it that I have in common with someone or what is it that I understand on some level but also trying to incorporate what you don't know Mm. so that you don't um yeah so you include the kind of the gaps and the misunderstandings and the so that that's part of the poem Um, Mm. so I certainly have tried to do that with this last book even though it is very very kind of direct and mostly pretty clear and sort of um, I guess straightforward in terms of its language but Mm. I've tried to include a lot of kind of um, uncertainties and um, ambiguities yeah especially with the physical form of the poem um, or the kind of poetic form itself so doing things with the way that the language sits together so that it's not just um, oh yeah I know all about this person Mm. but it's also I know but I don't know at the same time yeah right right um so yeah i think a lot of i guess a lot of time these days we think in terms of identity as a thing that's quite can be quite black and white um i am either this or i'm not that um Mm -hmm. but i think perhaps it's a little more complicated especially when you're thinking of the body and embodiment and disability or you know bodily difference it's something that kind of is potentially quite fluid and can change quite a lot Um, and different people can feel affinity with someone else but have no real you know they don't share the same identity whatever you want to call it right yeah so I guess the workshop where really what I'll do there is really look at the detail of particular poems some of mine but also other people that I've read Mm. that I think kind of explore that complexity Yeah, yeah right yeah, and, and I guess there has to be room for at least that exploration and, uh, like you say, an acknowledgement mm. of the things that, that we don't know that can be yeah as important as recording something that we do know, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. Because yeah. I think, I mean, I there is a real, there's always a risk because poetry is so kind of uh it affects people sort of immediately before you're even aware of what's happening mm. you're caught up in something yeah. you feel it intensely and you can kind of put yourself in the position of whoever's speaking or whoever's being spoken to you immediately i think sometimes it's too quick and you you think you know um but yeah i i, I think the best poets in, incorporate those two things together yeah and i think the other thing i guess the other side of the coin is that there's certainly plenty of poets that i read that it's all about not knowing so it's all about the ignorance and the uncertainty and the ambiguity and usually when i get that sense i sort of feel a bit 
uncomfortable as well because it's not it's not um, it's not all about uh, experimentation and mystery and strangeness because mm. the strange body and the strange person is also really familiar as well and yeah I sort of like that when there is a kind of um, connection of those two things together where yeah, right. something is both really familiar and a little bit you know uncertain or unfamiliar at the same time yeah because yeah. I, I guess that forces you to kind of see where you overlap like what's familiar to me so therefore what do I have in common with this person this experience yeah yeah um it's interesting yeah. I, I feel like um when I've when I set out writing the book I mean the the music our bodies can't hold is a kind of anthology of portrait poems of other people with the same genetic condition so the motivation was a kind of partly wanting to get to know my own community and mm. you know my own kind of genetic community but the more poems I wrote the more and especially when I I, I really wanted to have a diversity of people because I knew that the condition Marfan syndrome does affect people in different ways and I know it you know it, it you get all different sorts of class different gender pe- people with you know different backgrounds and situations different countries um different eras mm. and the more i wrote the more i kind of realized um part of it's the limitations of my own experience so i i don't know what it's like to be you know uh, a woman in the 18th century or um, <laughs> perhaps even currently you know i don't quite know so just out of my own sense of um it's partly what can I do physically as a writer, but also what what's appropriate for me to do and what feels right. So, mm. um, yeah, it, it felt like it made sense to me to include a kind of, I guess people within the poem is kind of holding things back. Yeah, not yeah. revealing everything. Yeah, and mm. overtly doing that. So saying things like, I, you don't need to know about that. Or, mm. um, and I think, you know... Um, that's kind of life on some level. We even the people we are very, very close to and love and very familiar with, you can have moments of going, "Hang on, I don't necessarily know this person. I don't know the depth of them." Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's the most dangerous and risky when you think this person's like that. Yes, you know, this person's a man, therefore. Yep. Uh, this person's a woman, therefore, kind of thing. Yep. Yeah. Um, yep. I'm kind of working through this interview backwards to the way that I normally do. I was going to come around to that question of writing in another's perspective at the end. Um, But I think it leads me to uh, the poems that you have on Verity Lies. Is it okay if we talk about those a little bit? Yeah, yeah. I, um, after... You asked me to do the interview. I thought, oh, what, what do I have? <laughs> so <laughs> I went back and had a look. A yeah, while. it is. Yeah. Um, which is interesting, but I have I have them here. Yeah, great. Um, and uh, I wonder if you would read this one for us. Yeah. This, this is No Shelter, which is published ah, in yeah. 2010. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah, No Shelter. And I, I don't think this was edited. Uh, it, it appears in a book. Um, among the regulars which mm. came out in 2010 yeah 
because I haven't read this for a while, I think this is the version that ends up in the book. Right, okay. If, it, if it's any different, it's not much different at all. Um, okay. It's probably this, exactly the same. Cool. Uh, no shelter. Floating home from a poetry reading, fog and who I am, closing in as I walk forward, I am still visible. A mostly full stubby of beer, VB I suspect, thrown from a slow car, swoops over my shoulder. Fear hits. The Commodore's brakes light up. Now it's just us and the possums, lost at the foot of these trees, ringed with metallic bands. Running is an invitation, standing still, the truth a hovering fist can't see. I might think myself an Aboriginal boy in Townsville, a single mum in a rough pub, or myself in a school bus, ten again. Another's hands perched on the seat ahead. I wait as his prey, no shelter in the flesh. Tears are slow scratches down a pale face. We are strong when we hold it all in. Here is where men come from and return. One body must open like a gift, all that's left, the memory of what it was like to be alone, a taste on the tongue like salt. Thank you. Thanks for reading that for us. Yeah. No worries. Um, does that poem feel really different now, being it's, kind of eight years on? It, it does. Um, I can sense kind of... It's interesting I can see kind of there's it's still me and it's still some of the same kind of concerns mm. as to what I'm doing now um, but I can also see some differences as well in terms of the I think the similarity probably is that what I'm I think I've probably always been interested in what it's like to be marginal I think mm-hmm. and those sort of points of where the someone who is different brushes up against uh, someone who is confronted by that difference yeah. and what that's like. Yeah. So what it reveals, I guess, about us. Mm. Um, so I've kind of always been interested in that. I probably always will be. Um, so it's there in that poem. But also probably what's different, I think, is that, um, yeah, actually it's hard to describe it. There's something about the voice that's a bit different. Mm. Um than what I'm doing now. I think probably probably what I'm doing now is a little more relaxed and a little more perhaps um, aware of what you can do with poetry in so many different ways. So I think I'm probably more, yeah, uh, conscious and confident, but not a bit more just... I, I've sort of realised, I think, Poems I've written recently, I'm happy to just leave them be imperfect. Yeah, you know? right, right. Um, yeah. I think in that era, particularly sort of coming up to, like, among the regulars, my first published book, and I was really conscious about wanting to get everything absolutely right. So I think most of the poems were probably, you know, 20 or 30 kind of drafts. You go back and change the little details. and. Mm. Um, and I still work on poems a lot, but nowhere near as much. Mm. I kind of go, yeah, that's fine. That's it's that's it's good. It's you know, yeah. it's close enough. Yeah. Because yeah, perhaps similar to what we we're talking about before. There's we're kind of imperfect, and there's it's actually fine to have some flaws in there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. 
That confidence, um, do you feel like that's a hard one thing for you or did it come kind of naturally over time or? Very slowly. And I think, well, even still, definitely, I'm totally unconfident. So, you know, think for all of us, unless you're a sort of rare, strange, super confident person, uh, if you're a poet, I think, especially for me, I just, if I'm sending something out, I think it's still kind of confronting, you know, sending it to a journal and will they like it or is it going to be rejected and what's it, yeah, what do they think of it? Mm. Getting something published, is it, what are people going to say about it? It's, it's weird. It doesn't, in the end, doesn't matter, but there is still some kind of, do I know what I'm doing? What is this? <laughs> like, what's this? What are these poems? Are these poems? Are they any good? You know, mm. it doesn't stop. Um, but I think as time has gone on, you kind of develop a bit of a um, calluses or, you know, you develop a bit of a, a tough skin on some level. Mm. Um, so I, I think, and I guess the more you write or the more I've written, the more I kind of realise I've got a thing that I do and I, you develop a kind of, oh, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And partly it's something you need to work against and stretch and, you know, try to force yourself to, you know, do something new. Mm. But also you kind of relax into it a bit and think it, it, it's part of, partly kind of getting used to your own self as well, going, this is who I am. So, yeah. you know, I'm only going to be alive for a certain amount of time, so I may as well um, yeah. just accept what it is. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Were there writers when you first started writing that you were consciously trying to emulate? Um, probably, no, not consciously but I know I mean I really I sort of got into poetry through the kind of live poetry spoken word open mic poetry sort of scene in Melbourne so that for me was hugely influential mm. I don't think I thought oh, I really want to be like whoever but I know that I sort of picked up a lot of that um, from various people in that scene especially in the kind of late 90s early 2000s I think um where I guess there is a sense of you're aware of an audience uh and you're aware of people having to kind of get something immediately so that it's yeah yeah that that has always been something in the background for me that being influenced by this sense of wanting to be sharing something and mm. for there to be some sort of immediate connection yeah. whether it's not whether it's necessarily you know obvious what is going on in the poem at least there is some sense of something's happening mm. um yeah and i do still even though i'm sort of probably publishing a lot more than i used to in comparison to reading live i still do a lot of live readings and performances because that's i think a huge part of it for me yeah yeah yeah. yeah, so it kind of brings me back to what you were saying earlier mm. about there needs to be more than just mysteriousness. Yes. Um, and that's something that I definitely get from going to spoken word events too. It's like the the type of poetry is quite different, but the connection with the audience is, is uh, yeah. just so obvious 
and yeah it's such a that, that seems to be the main thing really yeah is like does this poem connect or not yeah 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 and it's interesting i think um of course there's a huge diversity of you know uh spoken word and life poetry and different sub genres and different people but there is definitely yeah i feel like there is definitely a sense with a when a poem is performed or recited or whatever that there is some kind of sense that there you're sharing a physical space together and mm. whatever energy that person has it gets transmitted to you on some level yeah and sometimes you might walk away like not really even aware of what the poem was about because maybe it wasn't written particularly well or there wasn't a great poem but you mm. have a sense of the person a sense of the subjectivity and the the energy of the the poet mm. um and you know, I think mean, I think that happens when you read a poem off a page as well. You get a sense of the the person, but there's just something probably a difference in degree more than in type. You know, yeah, it still happens. Um, yeah, completely. Hmm. Um, I want to press you on these. When who do you think of when you think uh, of poets who prioritize that mysteriousness oh. over the connection? Is there any anyone in particular? Oh, good. Um, that's really interesting. I think, yeah, that's a good question. I mean, we, we could talk about the parts I've mentioned if that's. Yeah, that would be in. great. That yeah. would be great. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's interesting asking about people I maybe consciously have been wanting to emulate. I think probably, yeah, there are certain people probably probably dozens, but there are a couple of poets over the years that I've have hugely influenced me for various reasons. Um, one of the ones I mentioned to you was Adrian Rich. Mm-hmm. And I brought Mary Rich with me. Yeah. Yep. Well, I've got a, quite a few of her books. Um, and she's interesting in that I think her poetry's changed or did change quite a lot over the course of her life. Um, but I think one of the, uh, I guess one of the continuities has been I think she's really interested in other voices so allowing other voices to kind of speak through her or herself kind of pulling back to allow other voices to come in Mm. Um, and even especially as as her work sort of got more uh, compressed and oblique and a bit more strange in the last couple of books there's a sense to me where she's really interested in the kind of interruptions where there's like a um, another voice will come in and then disappear or mm. or you sort of get the sense that you're in the aftermath of something that's happened and you're not sure what's happened um so yeah, right. that stuff was always in there in the early work but i think in the recent the last couple of books there is a real kind of um yeah it's like she's reckoning with some kind of um, inherited injustice that she's yeah. trying to unravel. Um, yeah, 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 completely. And uh, there's never a kind of solution. So I guess, um, yeah, because I'm, I think we're sort of talking about this thing of both something that's solved and unsolved or clear and unclear, I think uh, partly what I find really interesting with her is that it is always really concrete. It's about the love between people or the injustice or um 
how people engage with each other and with their politics. But it's always very concrete, but it's also kind of it's not solved. There's no mm. definite answers about how to how to move forward. Um, yeah, that's oh, it's, you've just articulated perfectly one of the things that frustrates me most about Rich. <laughs> I, yeah. I, I do feel as if yeah. um, I've, I've walked into a conversation that was happening before I got there. Yeah. yeah. And uh, for me personally, yeah. sometimes I really want her to back up and just tell me what's, yeah. what she said like what you, what were you guys talking about yeah, kind of thing. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um not in every yeah. poem yeah. by any means yeah some poems i feel as if there's there's more to hook on to yeah but yeah yeah, yeah that's right and i feel that there's there is a bit of a um in the really early poems it's very kind of you know exactly what you're dealing with and it's all laid out and it's um crafted and i think I think in the mid-period, sort of 70s and 80s, it was more like a conversational style where it became a little bit more kind of open mm. but still sort of you kind of know what you're dealing with. And I think, yeah, as the as the work went on, it became a lot more kind of more and more urgent and more kind of intense mm. and, yeah, more kind of um, disorienting i guess mm. like I, don't, I don't have time to slow down for you yeah 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah. and almost yeah. i've sort of sometimes feel like it's a kind of um like when uh you know like a paper is folded up and if you fold it up heaps of times you can see what's on the surface but there's other stuff in the folds and mm. you know which you're not seeing yeah. so but i guess with her palms there's no way to open it all up so that you can see everything it's all kind of in there somehow. Yeah, um, for some reason, and and this isn't the case with every poet at all, but with yeah. Rich in particular, I really want to unfold the paper. Yeah, and I just can't, and I feel shut out. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. No, no, no I, I certainly there are plenty of her poems where I feel exactly that. Mm. Um, but what I guess draws me in is this sense that she's um, where the poems come from is a very real place, and so even though I may not connect up with exactly what the history is coming into it, uh, I know that it comes from a very real place. Mm, mm. So, yeah, that gives me a sense of persisting with the work. Yeah, um, yeah and I think you, I think when you asked me about who I wanted to talk about, there were, on one level I actually sort of felt like oh, I should really talk about Australian poets because the more I'm reading now, the more I, it's, it's mostly Australian poetry. Um, but in that sense, you know, who do I not talk about? There's just so, so many uh, fantastic poets out there, yeah. and people dealing with Australian history and with um, contemporary life. Mm. But yeah, in terms of my kind of who's influenced me, certainly Rich has sort of stayed around, and there's poems that I've read when I was, you know, in my twenties that I can still read now and still feel I get mm. something out of. Mm. Um, so that's a kind of some kind of test yeah um, and I, it's funny i think that most people certainly i've had poets that i've loved who are kind of doing something that it's exactly like what i would want to do but mostly it's not mostly it's people that are kind of doing something that's not what i could ever do um i don't think i will, will ever write as she writes yeah but yeah there's just something about like a um, a kind of intensity or 
um, an openness or an intent that I appreciate, mm. which is an interesting... Yeah, then maybe that's the sort of poets that you want to read, where it's not what you're going to write. It's well, some yeah. spirit or some energy. Yeah, yeah, it can be quite... It can be almost upsetting to read poets who are doing exactly what you want to do. Like, oh, yeah. great, well, <laughs> yeah. you're standing in my spot. <laughs> yeah, and I think, yeah, all the time, I've, I say this to a lot of people, I say it to myself too, where your own work is really... There's no mystery to it, mm. and you it you always look at it and it's kind of transparent, and you can see how it all fits together, and you know how you've done it. Um, mm. Whereas other people's poetry has always got some kind of magic or some mystery, or how the hell did they do that? Mm. Um, so even if yeah, so if you especially if you're seeing someone working in the similar area, it's kind of it's always going to feel beyond you, because right? mm. it's. Yeah, it's sort of incomprehensible how they could put it together. Yeah, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a sense of, like, awe. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is never, you never have awe about yourself. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> um, yeah. Are there, is there a Adrian Richpom that you would be happy to read as an example? Yeah, um, I thought of, actually, I didn't think about this too much, but... Um, a group of friends in town, we sort of get together and once every couple of weeks and just have a poetry night where everyone brings a poem. Sounds great. I know, it's uh, it's <laughs> fantastic. I don't know why we haven't done it before. We just started doing it recently. Oh, and I've chosen one of hers to read for the next one, which great. I haven't read yet, but I figured that might be a good idea. Nice. Uh, it's not in... Oh, it is in... I think it's in Three of Carnage, I think. One of, yes, one of the 21 love poems. Great. Um, do you know? Uh, oh, it's probably been a while. Uh, yeah, I um, I read Dream of a Common Language just recently, and I have yeah. to say I, I found it pretty alienating. But I really so, love A, a, a Wild Patience Has Taken Me This Far. Yeah. So right. I feel like yeah. I still want to persist. Uh, I think yeah. this era is kind of a really interesting era. Mm. Um, so, yeah, within... The Dream of a Common Language is a series of poems, which I think it's called 21 Love Poems, and there's actually 22, I think. There's an unnumbered poem, which is stuck in the middle. Um, but there's one line from number 10, which always kept coming back to me. Um, yeah, I won't preempt it too much. I'll just read number 10. Your dog, tranquil and innocent, dozes through our cries, our murmured dawn conspiracies, our telephone calls. She knows, what can she know? If in my human arrogance I claim to read her eyes, I find there are only my own animal thoughts, that creatures must find each other for bodily comfort. That voices of the psyche drive through the flesh further than the dense brain could have foretold. That the planetary nights are growing cold for those on the same journey who want to touch one creature traveller clear to the end, that without tenderness we are in hell. And there's so many, I think there's many other great little sections of it. I in, it's hard to say whether the 21 Love Poems are one whole poem yeah. in sections yeah. or, you know, each one is uh, just 
great. I think of them as sort of sections of one long poem in a way. Yeah, that was kind of how I took them as well. Yeah. yeah. And, but that sort of last line, there's something so kind of over the top of we're in hell without tenderness, but yeah. something that to me just has always felt uh, a truth. And I think, yeah, I, I appreciate poems that have that tenderness or at least suggest that, you know, this is kind of what we as, as human beings, as animals need. Maybe especially, maybe as mammals or, you know, whatever it is, you, yeah. you know, something, uh, yeah, that connection is very important. Yeah, and bringing yeah. The, the dog into the poem there gives it this wonderful uh, domesticity and yeah. uh, familiarity so that when you come to Without Tenderness We Are in Hell, yeah. it doesn't feel actually so overblown at all. It feels no. very, like, straightforward. Yeah. yeah, and there are uh, sections of that poem before that that deal with, yeah, a whole lot of things about violence and kind of and sexism and how we sort of move our way through the world uh so they do sort of build up as the poem goes on mm. um, and other sections i think work not as well as that but um interesting too that i think i didn't think about that but there's something in there about two um not knowing what the yeah. dog is thinking yeah no <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah, so, yeah it was so perfect yeah um yeah. And that's, yeah, but we always have this kind of, uh, we always talk about anthropomorphism about animals, like all the cat memes and so on, where <laughs> we project human qualities onto animals. And yeah. um, that's certainly a risk, you know, that uh, we're assuming we know. But there's also the other risk of um, assuming they're just so alien that we don't know anything about what animals are like or they add, they have no complexity mm. or depth when you know yeah of course they have but yeah it's just there's just this gap yeah yeah, yeah. um mm. the other poet that you mentioned was Ooh. gregory Orr, who i know basically mm. nothing about so. yeah it's hard again it's kind of hard to pick particularly uh I might read two short poems because he's, he's an unusual one. Um, Gregory Orr's another American poet who, I guess, kind of started really in the 70s and is still writing now. Mm. Um, his sort of early poems were, I guess, somewhere between kind of imagistic and surreal, but always with some kind of emotional, psychological sort of core to it. Um, and pretty soon after, he started writing stuff that was more about his own childhood um, and more, I guess, kind of lyrical and confessional, but still with some of that sort of strangeness mm. inside it. Mm-hmm. Um, he, when he was very young, as a young boy, he accidentally shot his brother. Um, and so this, that's who died as a result oh, of it. Oh. So that kind of has cast a, obviously a huge shadow over his life and sort of dealing with that so a lot of the poems in that era deal with that event but also kind of include this sense of it's not something you you can ever resolve or solve Mm. with Mm. a poem Mm -hmm. so the poems kind of I guess they're cathartic but they're not 
they don't have a resolution because you can't really have a resolution for things like that. Yeah. Um, and in recent years, he's sort of become, I guess, more of a formalist, sort of writing in poetic form. Um, and it's a little more philosophical and austere. And uh, But yeah, I think the 70s and 80s is sort of that era, I think, where he's really, he's sort of in between where the where the style is sort of changing it's sort of the most interesting yeah so cool yeah he's an interesting poet i think so yeah like i say i think i might just read two very short poems sure um this one is called silence the way the word sinks into the deep snow of the page the deer lying dead in the clearing its head and antlers transparent, the black seed in its brain parachuting toward earth. So really, really short and just this kind of moment, which is both literal and metaphorical. And um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think very compressed. And I guess that had always intrigued me. I, I don't, again, I, I, I can't write really, really short poems. So mm. I'm kind of fascinated by when it works and I go, Oh, right. It's That's possible. You can it, do yeah. it. Um, whether I would actually do it is, you know, another thing. Um, and another one, I guess from, yeah. Um, this is one from, yeah, this series where he does look more directly at this event of his childhood, um, where it's after his his uh, brother has died. So, this is driving home after a funeral. The boy watched the sun set, gold seed squeezed in the mountain's cleft beak until it bled. He sat distant in the back seat, unable to move. When the moon rose, its blue light formed patches of mould on his father's shoulder. In the dark, a wadded Kleenex his mother pressed against her cheek was a white snail eating holes in a leaf. Wow. Yeah, so I think, yeah, some of the poems I've read in, yeah, especially in that, era again there's some really long poems that are really really interesting the way that he kind of um weaves in kind of metaphor and myth in with some very very direct personal account Mm. um yeah i found sort of intriguing that especially you know when i first encountered him i think was probably before among the regulars i think so i was I was writing stuff that was very personal and autobiographical. I guess it was kind of confessional. So I was really aware that um, I didn't want to just write about myself. I was very interested in writing about, well, what does it mean? It's not just about me, here's my story, but it's what does this story say about um, our culture and Mm. our world and how we engage with each other? Mm. So I think, yeah, I was really interested in partly the threads that he threw out to other things um, and the kind of craft as well. It was quite um, uh, musical and lyrical. So that, that kind of, yeah, set off a few things in my head. Mm. 
for sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was wondering if we could finish off with one from Music Our Bodies Can't Hold. Yeah. If that's yeah. right with you. We've got, we published a poem called Jess, oh, which course. I have here. Or yeah. You, you feel free to pick another one if you want. No, um, I'm just thinking, yeah. Actually, let me think. Uh, well, it makes sense. We could read that one. Yeah. Is that all right? Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I, I found it's funny. I think um, when I've read poems out, I think you asked before how the response, what the response has been like. Mm. And the only thing you know for sure is what it's like at readings. You yeah, know, yeah true, true, true. Especially at this stage. Yeah. Um, and I find there are particular poems that I keep gravitating to reading because they've got a real kind of energy and it's hard to go, oh, I have to read that one. And some of them are obviously more, I guess, uh, philosophical and others are kind of more emotional and you know impacting on a sort of level of grief because there's a lot of um some people with marfan do die young so there is some of those poems that i kind of gravitate to reading because it's uh that's an element of what the story is um but this one jess which went into the um anthology shaping the fractured self which is yeah i'm so happy to be part of it's great um but Jess uh, is one of the people I interviewed, so I've kind of, and she's, well, you know, Facebook friend, <laughs> a friend, yeah. um, and she's she's fantastic, and a, so someone I connect with as a person. But I think her voice is just uh, wonderful, and her attitude's fantastic. So it has a lot of different moods in the poem as well. So mm. I quite like that. Um, she. Uh, the poem starts with a quote by the poet Audrey Lord, and the quote is, I would be giving in to a myth of sameness, which I think can destroy us. Sometimes I wake into a quiet sadness, blood pooling in my mouth, bones on fire. This is the worst and best thing that has ever happened to me. One morning I couldn't walk, the white coats gave me a chair. I became an adult while they tried to work it out. The closest was marfanoid habitus, till a sudden knife in the chest gave me enough points for the full diagnosis. Hearing it, I felt sick. I have mitral valve prolapse, regurgitation, multiple pulmonary nodules. I get short of breath and produce excessive mucus. Clearly, I'm very attractive. My joints are hypermobile and dislocate. They go out more than I do. I'm the walking rubber band. Comments and names at school. Don't cross your legs. You look disgusting. Spider woman. Anorexic slut. Other things I can't write. Doctors accuse my parents of abuse. Threatened me with feeding tubes. Ironic. It was only all this pointing at my bones that gave me an eating disorder. Since I joined chronic illness peer support, they can't shut me up. We go on camps, socials, talk about whatever we need to. I meet the most incredible people and call them my friends. My dog helps me enormously with my grief. I'm so motivated, people find me exhausting. Started studying nursing, but they told me I was too unwell. Cried so hard, I broke a rib. Now it's psych. 
I hemorrhaged every day for 18 months, clots bigger than my hand, doubled over in pain until I passed out. I think about my future a lot. Imagine a husband, two golden retrievers, a blue house by the beach, veggie patch, all the people I will help. Life is extraordinary, and so are you. Now look at this photo and tell me you still want sameness. Fabulous. Thank you for reading oh, that. That's no, good. pleasure. Um, yeah. yeah, I just, I find it interesting. I, I love that uh, writing the book was a real kind of revelation and then I realised non-fiction poetry is something that I think is probably one thing that that's what I'm partly doing. Yeah, yeah, I was going to um, bring that up as well. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a way of going, actually, it doesn't have to come out of your the ether or you know your uh, memory or you know your observations it's can come out of research mm. you can sit down and through an interview or just through reading you can kind of translate that into something and yeah. it's a kind of collaboration so it was um while it's certainly my poem that one and most of the others are predominantly in the people's own words so that's been important to kind of go it's not just my poem it's sort of a collaboration of some sort